Hello everyone, this is Jill Garvin, the Director of Psychological Health for the 102nd Intelligence Wing. Welcome to our wellness podcast. Uh, September is Suicide Prevention Awareness Month, and today I have Stephanie Kelly, who is a director of the Samaritans of Cape Cod and the Islands, and I'm going to have her explain to us what she does there and and the many programs that they have. Uh, A lot of people have heard of them, and if you haven't, you should know about them. They do a lot of important things in the community. Uh, Welcome, Stephanie. Thanks, Jill. Thanks I'm for very excited me. to have you here today. I've, I've known you for a while now. I have uh, served on their board and done some volunteer work, and I know the special people in the organization and, and the things that they, that they do for folks. And again, it, it's Suicide Prevention Awareness Month, and that's one of their, their focuses is, is to help people that are in crisis. So... Yeah, give us like an overall picture of, of, well, what you do there. Sure. And and then about the programs that you have there at the Samaritans. Sure, I'd be glad to. Um, First of all, thank you for having me. Um, I am really delighted to talk about the Samaritans. It's one of my favorite topics to talk about because I really believe in, you know, what we do as an organization. And I'm always anxious to get the word out about all the things that we do. most people know us from the signs that are at the Bourne and Sagamore Bridges as you're coming onto the Cape. Um, they've been there for since since the 80s, um, when our founder was part of in, kind of instrumental in putting up the suicide barriers at the bridge. Mm-hmm. So most people equate us with the bridges and those signs, and they see the word desperate, so they assume that what we do is either stand at the bridge and intervene when somebody's you know, walking across it, which we don't do, or, or, you know, we're somehow connected to those bridges. Mm -hmm. And we do have a long history with that, but that's how we started. What we've evolved into is a much bigger um, uh, level of response, I think, for people who are touched by suicide in a lot of different ways. And um, it being September, it's a great time to talk about it because a lot of people don't want even to say the word suicide. If you say it to someone, they, you can see them close up. You can see them not know what to say, so they, they just don't want to talk about it. Absolutely. Um, and the, we know that the only way that we can reduce the numbers and help people is by talking about it. So um, we do that a lot. So um, I have been executive director with the Samaritans since um, almost nine years, almost 10 years, actually. It's really gone by fast. And we've evolved quite a bit during that time. Um, Our foundation program that everybody really knows us from is the crisis lines that we have. And I kind of like to start with that because the word crisis can be off-putting for some people. It can be misleading for others um, because I think they think that they can't call us unless they're in a suicidal crisis or they have to kind of be at a certain level of crisis before they would pick up the phone and call. And I like to clarify that what we do is most of the time we're providing a connection for someone um, who's not suicidal. They're lonely, they're isolated, they may be going through a divorce or um, here on the Cape we have an older population, so a lot of them are losing their independence and it really provides a connection that people aren't finding anywhere else. And it's anonymous, 
and they can say what they want to say and without any repercussions. So um, I always encourage anyone who's going through any kind of struggle to give us a call because that's what we're there for. We're there to listen. And um, the idea behind, behind befriending, which is the foundation of what we do, it's what we were founded on um, back in 1977, is that we listen, we actively listen, but we don't try to fix it for you because everybody else in your life is probably trying to help you fix it or telling what you need to do. And um, sometimes problems are bigger and they just need to be talked about. They don't, there is no fix. There's no solution. Yeah, yeah. I'd like to comment on a couple of things you said that were super important. One is I know in, in my role, I ask people here at the 102nd, don't necessarily wait until something becomes a crisis to come and talk to me. You know, if you're having some relationship issues or sleep issues or some mild depression, talk to someone about it before it becomes a major crisis. I really, again, we try to reduce the stigma of of reaching out and, and asking for help so something doesn't get to that level. Mm-hmm. And the other thing you said um, is, is how the, the crisis line really provides connection. And the Department of Defense for Suicide Awareness Month, the theme this year is connect to protect and how important it is to connect. And so I love that, yes, it's not, your all's crisis line is not just about, it it is about suicide prevention, but that's not necessarily why people are calling. They're Mm -hmm. calling because they need to connect with someone. Mm -hmm. They need that contact. They may need resources. And that is prevention. Absolutely. You know, definitely. Uh, And I also, I, I know sometimes working with the military, uh, a lot of really highly intelligent people here that are very well-trained and, and often they want to fix it. And so that's another conversation that we have and, and that people are, are getting more and more used to is just, yeah, sometimes people just want you to listen. Mm-hmm. You don't have to have the right answers. You don't have to necessarily fix it. And one other thing I wanted to mention that you said in the beginning about suicide and and talking about it and and how uncomfortable people are around having having that conversation because what if we say the wrong thing or ask the wrong question or we trigger somebody? But it's so important to just have these really honest and candid conversations with people, again, to reduce the stigma, to reduce the the shame or guilt around it, because we all struggle with mental health issues from time to time, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And yeah, and just the importance of of having real, authentic conversations, that's wonderful anyway so well, that that's that's so true because I think the authenticity is really important because we walk by each other all the time and say you know how you doing but we really don't necessarily stop and wait for the answer mm-hmm. or we give that stop oh I'm fine everything's fine and um, to allow somebody to go past that 
is prevention. I, I think an overused phrase is, you know, we're going to catch them upstream and we're going to, mm-hmm. you know. But um, truly, I think if you provide a connection for someone who is lonely or isolated or struggling with something that can become much bigger without some type of, of connection with someone or someone listening, it absolutely can reduce the numbers in suicide. I, I believe that fully. And um, th- that probably is the thing that I'm most proud about for our volunteers. I know that every time we have a new group of volunteers and we put them in place, they all struggle with that, oh, what if I say the wrong thing? Or um, what if I don't have the right solution? And pretty much I can guarantee that if you're coming from the right place in your heart and you are genuinely listening, you can't say the wrong thing. Because asking somebody if they're suicidal is not going to make them think of it. If they're suicidal, they've already thought of it, you know, and it's not, there are a lot of myths around that. I um, remember I saw a commercial on TV once where somebody was standing in Grand Central Station and they, it was like time-lapse photography, so everybody's whizzing around them and they're just standing there. And I think that when you ask someone about it, it, it's like everybody stops and all of a sudden somebody sees you and sees the pain that you're in and it's a relief, it's a relief to them because finally they can talk about it. Finally, somebody sees that I'm not really okay. And um, that's a pretty powerful thing when that happens. Yeah, I love that, that visual. When, how do you ask somebody if they're suicidal? Do you, do you yeah, just... Um, you know, we train our volunteers to be pretty straightforward about it. Um, you have to use your own words because if you use someone else's words, it's not going to sound genuine. Sounds it's fake. Gonna, yeah, and they're going to be like, I'm fine. Um, so we encourage them to use their own words, but we also encourage them not to dodge the word suicide or are you thinking about killing yourself? And that's really important because we know that when people are really in that spot and their lens has just narrowed down so much that all they can think about is ending the pain they're in. It's hard for us to understand it because we're not in that place right now, but they're not thinking about dying. They're not thinking about their actual death. They're just thinking, I've got to stop this pain that I'm in. So um, if you ask them, are you thinking about hurting yourself? They might say, no, I'm thinking about dying. You know, I'm thinking about... They don't want to be here anymore. But if you ask them straightforward, then you will likely get a a very straightforward answer. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Um, Thank you, because again, sometimes people don't know exactly how to ask... um, yeah. But like you said, just kind of coming coming from your heart and making sure that someone is okay and safe and, you know, yeah. I think, yeah, I think if you tell someone, I care about you and I'm worried about you. Yeah. Um, so I, I really need to ask this. And I, is, is there a big need on the Cape? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Why is that? Well, we have uh, a suicide rate here on the Cape and Islands that's, that's roughly 1.9 times higher than the rest of the state. Oh. Um, I will tell you that our state has a very low suicide rate in comparison to a lot of other states. Last I checked, I think we were number 47 out of 50. Um, I think there are a lot of reasons for that. But um, on the Cape, I think that... These are just my thoughts. I think being in a vacation land can be great, and it can also be very, very um, difficult for people who live here year-round, struggle with finances, are laid off of work. Um, Work can be very seasonal, and we know that, I'm going to get, I'm going to sound sexist, but we know that men often define themselves by what they do, 
And if they're not able to do what they do, it can create, you know, kind of an avalanche of issues. Um, women, I'm sure, feel that way too, but we tend to define ourselves by who we are instead of, you know, what we what do. We do. Yeah. Um, generally speaking. And so I think that's an issue. I think we have a, I know that we have a very high senior age demographic and we know that seniors are at higher risk for lots of reasons. Mm -hmm. So I think those are probably the two biggest um, issues that create a higher rate for us. Um, I don't know really too many people that have not been touched by suicide in one way or another if they start to find out what you do or if you say the word, every time I've ever presented, every time I've ever been at any event, someone has always come up to me afterwards. Been able to relate in mm -hmm. some way. My sister, my mother, my friend, my, you know, always they've had a loss or an attempt or they themselves are struggling. So um, I, I think there's probably a need everywhere, but I recognize it here on the Cape and Islands most. Um, has there been an increase since the pandemic at all? Have you noticed any trends or or more calls more definitely more calls yeah um we when the pandemic started we did something historical that we've never done and that is to set all of our volunteers up at home to answer calls oh, wow. we decided to go remote on march 17th and by march 18th everybody was answering calls at home and um if you knew me five years ago i would say we are never answering calls at you know um and it's worked beautifully our coverage has never been better. We are able to offer volunteer opportunities to people regardless of, you know, geographic constraints or, or you know, time constraints. Uh, I've noticed about a 30% increase in calls. And that is only the number of calls that we're able to answer. I think that there probably are, it's the, the wow. um, yeah, the percentage is probably a lot higher, but we are, we only have so many volunteers and we have to give time to everyone that calls. So there are times where we miss calls. Yeah. And um, most of the newer calls that we get, we have a lot of recurrent callers. Yeah. And um, people find that unusual. And I did. I know I did when I first came to the Samaritans, but we are almost part of a safety plan or a um, a connection that that person needs to just get through their day and then they're fine. And they just regularly call mm -hmm. for the support and, and your volunteers know them or they're, they're known to. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. So there, yeah, it, it, it really provides a, a, a unique relationship that I don't think they have anywhere else in their lives. And, um, but, the, but the newer callers have been people who've never called a crisis line before and they're calling more about, you know, food insecurity and, um, keeping their kids home from school and, you know, all the things that everyone's dealing with, um, layoffs and, and how am I going to pay my rent and, you know, all those yeah. kinds of things. And I'm really glad that we've been able to be there because I feel like these are people who have support systems in place, but they can't talk to their families about their worries because their families will be worried. Right. Or, you know, I mean, so, wanna, yeah, so we're able to give them that outlet. We can't, solve it. Mm -hmm. I wish that we could. Um, but it's, it's good to know that more people are reaching out. And I hope from that, if any good comes out of it, it will be that they'll call in the future if they are, you know, after this is over yeah. and they're struggling, that they'll know that they have a place that they can call. So. Yeah. So tell me again, I think people are going to be really surprised about the many programs 
that you that you have. So I want to talk about the programs Great. and then, you know, your volunteers and how people can get involved because I know you de- you definitely. Uh, could use some more volunteers. So tell us about your programs. Well, as I said, the crisis lines are kind of the basis of everything else that we do. Um, But we also have a program called Safe Place. And that has been around for, well, on and off for about 20 years or so. And it is a support group for people who have lost someone to suicide. Currently, we are not doing that program. We're just kind of on hiatus right now because it's some people are comfortable with doing that in a Zoom format or an online format, virtual. Some aren't. And we're finding that people are preferring to wait until we can all be together in person at the same time. But um, an offshoot of that program is our care package program, which I'm so proud of. It's available for anyone, anyone that needs one. I know we've given you some in case anyone needs them here. The beauty of it is it's books, it's resources, it's uh, we send a picture frame and a journal and forget-me-not seeds. And just we've really put a lot of thought into um, what might be helpful. We have kids' books and um, books on losing a parent or a child or a a sibling. But um, all anyone has to do is just either call us or email us and we'll send it. Yeah. So we don't have to know who you're giving it to. Their anonymity stays intact, confidentiality is intact, and we love getting those out to everyone that needs them. We've gotten a lot of response back that those have been very, very helpful, particularly for people who either can't get to a support group or just maybe they're not support group kind of people, right. and that's fine too. Right. Um, so we have those two programs for suicide loss survivors. Um, for attempt survivors in... Um, 2017, it really got up and running, is our A Caring Connection program, which is the only program in the United States of its kind. So it's a, it's a really, it's a pilot program. And what we're doing is creating a model that anyone could, you know, create on their own. So um, we got funding from the Department of Mental Health to do this. And what we do is when people are coming out of um, either medical or behavioral facility after they've had a suicide attempt, or a really pretty significant suicidal crisis, we pair them up one-on-one with a volunteer who calls them and provides connection to them. And we send postcards and we text them and we just let them know that we're there. Because we know that a lot of times when people come out after hospitalization, the first 72 hours is the most critical time for support. It's the most likely time that people will take their life or they will be you know, re-hospitalized. So it's an effort to kind of just provide extra support to oh, someone like who may that. be... And that's called caring connection. A caring connection, yeah. What if uh, we had a suicide attempt here, and, you know, one of our members from the 102nd, but they lived off Cape, for example, could they still... Absolutely. Okay. okay Absolutely. Almost every program that I'm going to tell you about is not bound by geography. Really, the support groups are the only only ones right now. Um, So, yeah, anyone. Okay, that's And really, if you had someone, their identity, their stuff is theirs. It's not ours. We really just need a name and a phone number, and it's not our job to do Googling and finding out. We don't want to know. We want to know from that person what their experience was and what we can do to help them. So I think that's that's a really great kind of selling point for yeah. lack of a better way to put it but it's what if what if someone wants 
counseling? How can they find that for around, you know, an attempt survivor mm -hmm. or a family member? Um, we have different um, resources that are kind of vetted that we feel are, are good resources to give people. I can tell you that we would not give any specific counseling name. Okay. Just because, you know, like everything, someone will say that person is great, the next person will say that person's terrible, you know. Yeah. So, um, but what we, we do is we give them the tools they need to find the person that's okay. right for them. So you help them yeah, find, find that. Okay, mm -hmm. wonderful. Um, so we do that. And we have resources for here in the Cape and Islands, but we also have resources that we can tap into for anywhere because we get calls and, and contacts from all over the place. Yeah, I bet. Um, so, yeah, we wouldn't necessarily refer them to one particular person, but we give them the tools they need to okay. find what they need. And what about your elder program? Oh, senior outreach. That's also I say every program is my favorite because they are, but yeah. um, senior outreach started about the time that I came to the Samaritan. So it was about almost 10 years ago. And the way that evolved is originally we knew that we were all getting older on the Cape and there was a real lack of connection because you know we're not the best at public transportation much better than we used to be but as people get older and they they can't get to you know the the senior center or they can't get out to do their things they get isolated so we thought oh we're gonna we're gonna tackle this so we started putting rack cards about the senior outreach program in all of the meals on wheels deliveries to the cape and the islands elder services has been very supportive of the program they've been really great and um, that really didn't generate what we thought it would because elders were seeing us as the people that you call if you're thinking about suicide. So we had to go a couple of steps further. So now we, if people are interested, councils on aging, some people refer themselves, they call us, they say they would like to have a volunteer, and the volunteer calls them. Very similar to a caring connection, um, but it's, it can be long-term. We don't put a, a time limit necessarily on it. And they kind of figure out the volunteer is always the same volunteer with the senior, and they kind of figure out what their schedule is going to be. And it's a great program because it gives people an opportunity to talk about things that they might not want to talk about with anyone right. else. And all of this is free. Yes, everything's which free. Which is amazing. I mean, that's super. And I know just from the pandemic, I've had so many conversations with just in my personal world and 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 here at the 102nd, you know, well, people that are so worried about their parents mm -hmm. and and being even more isolated. And so that is just wonderful that, that there's a program like that too to, to keep them connected and to check on them. That's, it, that's It's wonderful. such a simple, simple program. Yeah. And it's so, it works so well. And um, again, that's another one that's uh, geography doesn't, if somebody, we, we call people in Washington, D.C., we call people in California. I mean, we have yeah. people all over oh, that's that amazing. we talk to. And um, it's, it's just, it's a very powerful program. And then the third piece of the elder part of our, our programming is that we, when we can get in person, we do a, a seven and a half hour training, an elder suicide prevention training for anybody in the community that might come in contact with elders. We've done them for van drivers and, um, you know, councils on aging and elder services. And so we just, we provide that and it offers CEs for nurses and social workers and LMHCs. So, and that's all free as well. Oh, so that's great. Um, we hope to be able to get back to a situation where we can do that soon. If not, we're going to be offering it virtually which is 
um, not nearly as great as being in person. Yeah, but, but still know. something. Yes, yes, <laughs> absolutely. Yes, we're so lucky we can at least do that. Yes. So yeah. tell me about how do people get involved? Do you need volunteers? Always, always we need volunteers. Um, particularly because it's not, it, it's a different kind of volunteer experience. Even when we were in the center, you're, you're kind of isolated. You're really, you might be on with one other volunteer, but you're going to be in separate rooms. So it's, it's, very, it's a very solitary thing. Um, it's not shelving books at the library, which right. is also a very valid volunteer experience. But you have to, uh, the, the, the criteria is you don't, we don't need people who have letters behind their name. They don't have to be a licensed clinician or a nurse or anything like that. They have to have the desire to want to help yeah, and the ability to listen. And um, there are so many people out there that can do it. Absolutely. are just like you and me. They're, they're just people who want to listen. And so uh, our training is going to be virtual for the time being, which is kind of great because it makes it easier for everybody. People are able to volunteer virtually as well. So that makes it a much better opportunity. Um, We train our volunteers and then we let them shadow volunteers who are more experienced to see what it would be like. And um, if anyone is interested, absolutely, they could contact me either at the office at uh, 508-5487999 or at executive director at capesamaritans.com. I'm also going to, we'll have this on on our Facebook page too, so they know how to get in touch with you. Perfect. And then on our website, there's a link. There are several different links if you want to volunteer, if you need a care package, if you want more information. So that's that's kind of confidential as well. So um, Wonderful. Yeah, I think I I told you uh, on the way over here that part of our our culture here at the 102nd is that a lot of our folks are very passionate about service work and giving back to the community so i i suspect that some people will be very interested in 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 helping you guys out and and doing some volunteer work so i I definitely hope that uh, that we find some folks and i definitely know that we have had people here that have been impacted by suicide, mm-hmm. either attempt survivors or um, that have lost someone to a suicide. So um, so let me ask you before we wrap it up, just from, from your experience and, and expertise, what you have found over the years that is, that, that people that are experiencing a crisis or that become suicidal, what sort of maybe a common, a commonality is, a, a common theme, uh, what are some protective factors, just, just some yeah. advice that you could give all of us on, on how to protect ourselves and each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, around that. Um, I uh, the first thing that came to mind when you asked that is loneliness. That is the mm. thread, the common thread that goes through every wow. day that we do this job, in one way, shape, or form. Some and I'm not saying people who don't have a support system that's not loneliness. Um, sometimes it is, but yeah. uh, it, it's it's that aloneness. It's that feeling that no one else knows how I feel, 
or everyone else is just, especially if you think about right now, the pandemic, everybody else is just handling this so well. Why do I feel the way I do? And in reality, everybody is not doing well. They just don't have the ability to reach out or ask or say something about it for fear. I think that they're going to be shunned or something. Right. Feel shame that something's wrong with them. And so you're, you're saying that even you can be around 20 people all the time, but you can still really feel lonely in the midst of a crowd or a lot of people or your loved ones. Absolutely. And so I think loneliness, I think that's a contagion all its own. Um, we could, that's a whole different mm. show that we could talk about. But um, so I think that, and I think we've got to figure out a way for people to overcome the fear of reaching out, but just as importantly, the fear that we have to ask someone. Mm. I can tell you, I have asked thousands of people how they're doing, are you suicidal? And maybe two times I've had people get angry at me. Of course not. You, you know what? And you know what? They're angry. But I know that they're okay. And the other 99% of the time, people are relieved and happy that I've asked them. And it's developed into great conversations. And I know that when they walk away, maybe they feel just a little bit better. And maybe they'll reach out to someone else and... It just, to me, that's, that's the biggest thing that we have to overcome. And whether that's stigma or shame, we've got to learn how to let people know that we do all have days that we can't get out of our pajamas. Yeah. We do have days where we can't go to work. We have days where we don't answer the phone. Um, I have those. Yeah, we have down days, yeah. absolutely. And, and sometimes those days turn into... Uh, a few days in right, a row, you know, right, yeah. and everybody has that. They yeah. just don't want to talk about it. So I know it's so true. And if we talked about it, we would realize that we're not alone and that we all struggle with a lot of the same stuff, you Absolutely. know, um, that's such a good point. So the crisis line, yes. where do they call? Is it confidential? How does that work? Yes. Um, our local numbers are, well, we have uh, uh, 508 548-8900 is our local number mm-hmm. that we've had since we went into business. And we also have an 800 number, 800-893-9900. We are, on September 15th, we are going to be joining the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. And that's the number that I give folks here as mm-hmm. well that's listed on. Right. Um, I want to assure everybody that we are not becoming the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. We are the Cape and Island Samaritans. We are answering overflow calls that they have because they are having a really hard time keeping up with the number of calls that they get. Um, Our lines are confidential, and particularly in the context of our organization. um, The big shift that we are going to have when we become an NSPL um, partner is that we will be able to intervene or kind of participate in an active rescue for someone only if every other effort that we've made has failed. And when we talk about an active active rescue, it could be, can we call someone for you? Right. Your friend. Oh, we can? Great. So we get the friend over there. That to me is a successful active rescue. Yeah, it doesn't mean calling the police. No, it doesn't mean calling 911 um, or, or 
you know, any kind of yeah. emergency services. That is a, an absolute last resort. Yeah. And the only people that will be able to do that are the senior staff, on-call staff, and they're the only ones that will ever be um, privy to any phone number or anything like that. Our volunteers, everything is still anonymous and confidential. Okay, great. I also know that you do a lot of fundraisers throughout the year, so if, if people are interested in volunteering or even helping get involved in fundraisers. I know you do golf and do you still do the bocce? Bocce. Yeah, the bocce. Yeah, that's um, a big we one. We do. Obviously this year was not the year to get yeah. all those folks together, but we hope to do it again yeah. in the spring. And um, those are our two major fundraisers. We do some mailings like other nonprofits do. And, um, but we are always looking for people that would be interested in helping us. Yeah. Come up with ideas, come up with planning, you know, because it, it pretty much, falls on part of the board and yes. the staff and it's never enough it's, yeah. it's you can always enough. use help absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. um yeah th thank you i mean just wonderful programs everything is is free for folks uh and again i know from personally being around you guys that that everyone is is very passionate about what they do and and you love the programs we and do. you 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 love what you do, and I just I can't thank you enough. Is there anything else that we should know about or that we didn't mention about the Samaritans? I can't. It feels like I talked yeah. a lot. No, you did. You um, gave us a lot of great information, and we'll list everything yeah. on our on our um, Facebook page. How you can get in touch with Stephanie, their website their groups. I also have their brochures and, and contact information in my office in Building 170. If you want to get in touch with me, I can also share, pass that information along. Uh, but yeah, please get involved with the Samaritans. They, they need our help, or if you need help, please call them. Again, it is confidential. I, I was telling Stephanie earlier that uh, some of our military folks, they, they will reach out to organizations like Military One Source or other crisis lines that are connected with the military, but some of you would prefer to reach out to organizations that aren't. So yeah, if you want to reach out to the Samaritans, um, please do so. They're, they're a wonderful support. So thank you so much for coming on. Uh, let's repeat the phone number for, for how to get in touch sure. with you guys again, the, the crisis line. Sure. Um, the office line, how to get in touch with me, is 508-548-7999. And then our crisis line, um, eight, I'm going to give you the 800-800-893-9900. You have the number for the lifeline if people would like to contact us through that. Okay. Wonderful. Thank you. I hope you come back oh, and Thank you. we'll have more conversations because there's a lot more to talk about within all those wonderful groups that you do. And yeah, I appreciate your time today. Thank you, Stephanie. Thank you so much, Jill. Okay. Thanks. Goodbye, everybody. And we'll talk soon.